0: All right. Good morning. My name is Brandon, I'm one of the pastors. If I don't know you, it had the chance to be here at Northwest since uh, October. Um, I have the great honor of serving as a founder of Soma Church. Kind of our, if you don't know, if you're new to Soma, we're a family of neighborhood churches scattered around the city. So my wife and I moved here about six years ago and started uh, what's now Soma Midtown uh, in our living room, and. Uh, just, yeah, just grateful to be a part of this team. Uh, Pastor Bobby is at Midtown, kind of bringing the heat this week. And uh, so I get to be here with you guys. We are, if you're, if you're new or if you've missed a few weeks, uh, we're, we're in the kind of uh, final lapse, uh, to use a 500 analogy here, of the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably the most uh, loved of all of Jesus' teachings, his longest sermon that we have uh, on record. And uh, as we come down the stretch here in chapter 7, Jesus is is finishing his sermon, and um, he doesn't complete his sermon with a haiku or some kind of an inspirational, motivational uh, talk. He doesn't um, throw some kind of a product launch party uh, with t-shirt cannons saying, now go and do uh, what I've said. He gives us a series of warnings. And, um, and, and so it's kind of interesting. It's a little bit of a, a downer uh, to end this sermon with warnings. But Jesus is kind of acknowledging the fact that any good things, there's been lots of beautiful things that Jesus has said um, about the benefits of being in relationship with Jesus um, and living into this vision of what it means to be fully human, which is kind of the essence of the kingdom of God is what does it look like to be truly, fully human? There we go. Um, let there be light. Um, And so uh, what what he's acknowledging here though in these warnings is that every good and beautiful gift that comes from God can also be a vulnerability that can be weaponized to destroy us and destroy uh, and damage those around us. And so he wants to be very sober in inviting us to see that, uh, be careful how you use the Sermon on the Mount, be careful what you do with the Sermon on the Mount, be careful what you do with the teachings of Jesus because you can actually end up uh, hurting yourself and hurting those around you. I liken it to my, uh, I have a, a four kids, 12, uh, 10, 9 as of this morning, one that had a birthday this morning, and then uh, 6. And a couple months ago, my, my 10-year-old had been begging me for a pocket knife. And uh, th- he's the kind of kid who, um, we give him the pocket knife, and pocket knives, uh, like can be useful to cut things and, and do all kinds of cool boy stuff, but it can also be dangerous, right? And, um, and so he's the kind of kid that, like, you give him the pocket knife, he's like, I got this, Dad. You know, I'm 10. I- I've got the world figured out. I don't need instructions. So we give him the pocket knife, and we said, there's one rule, you can't use the pocket knife to hurt anyone, and if we see you threatening anyone with this weapon, we're going to take this away. Would one 24 hours before I walked into the bathroom, and he has his brother backed up against the wall with this pocket knife, threatening him, just kind of playing around with him, but, you know, my 12-year-old's scared to death. Um, so we confiscated the pocket knife, and then uh, my, my 12-year-old had a birthday a few weeks ago, and he got a pocket knife. And so we said, well, give you your pocket knife back and, and make sure that you handle it uh, like a mature 10-year-old. Well, it wasn't like a few minutes later, uh, we're doing the birthday stuff. Everybody's kind of in their pajamas. We're FaceTiming uh, family, celebrating birthday. And all of a sudden over here, I hear a scream, ow, ow, ow. And I look over, and all I see is a trail of blood leading from our kitchen into the bathroom. And he has taken that pocket knife in the matter of just five minutes, completely sliced his finger open and now uh, has to go to the hospital and get four stitches. That's kind of the essence of what's happening here with Jesus. He's he's saying, be careful that you don't just take this and kind of glibly uh, seek to kind of, you know, hear it and then obey it, but really pay attention to how you're going to live this out. So let's hear these words from Matthew chapter seven, um, starting in verse 15, Jesus gives us a warning. He says, beware... Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So there's these contrasts here in chapter 7, these warnings. Two kind of different ways to live, two different ways of being Uh, being human, two different ways of approaching spirituality, so to speak. And so you have the two gates, which we talked about a few weeks ago, and and you have here uh, the two trees. And then, uh, again, a few weeks ago, we're kind of going out of order, we talked about uh, the two types of doers. And then, uh, I believe last week, Pastor Bobby talked about the two builders, the two architects, two different ways to kind of build a life. And so here we have uh, the two trees, and there's uh, a warning here to us to watch out uh, to the kind of influences we allow. Allow access to our lives, right? We can open ourselves up, and in many ways, you could say our lives, the direction of our lives, can be dictated by the people that we surround ourselves, the voices, the influences that we allow into not just our minds, but our imaginations, our emotions. You know, it's kind of like I think of like a window. It's easy to kind of open the window and to allow, if you got like a stale room, I live in an old house. Uh, in Broaderpool, and uh, we call these old houses charming, which just means that everything's fallen apart and is really expensive and old, um, and so uh, from time to time, just things get stale upstairs, in the third floor it can get up to like 90 degrees at this time of year. So we open the windows to allow uh, at least some sense of fresh but hot air into the room. And that's kind of the, what he's talking about here is like, beware of, of who you allow in. Beware of the influences that you allow to speak truth into your life or speak falsehood into your life. This, this word here, false prophet, is the word pseudo-prophet. And there's warnings throughout the Bible about pseudo-leaders, pseudo-prophets, pseudo-teachers, pseudo-apostles, pseudo-Christ. The idea here with pseudo is, and the danger, the subtle danger of it is, they're kind of right and they're kind of wrong. And to be kind of wrong in the kingdom of God is to be all the way wrong. But there's an appearance. You're not going to be readily. You're not, it's not going to be easy for you to see all the time uh, who's good and who's bad, who's on the right team and who's on the wrong team. And and this even this idea of false prophets seems kind of uh, weird for us to talk about because we live in a time that like we value tolerance, we value open-mindedness, we value kind of being nice and kind, and we don't like to call things wrong or, or false. This feels like um, I didn't grow up in church, but uh, when I did, I became a Christian as a teenager in a fundamentalist. Baptist church. I don't know if you know anything about that kind of culture environment, but um, there were these people that would walk around, typically around election cycles, because I guess that's when false prophets come out. And, uh, and they would have like pamphlets and cassette tapes and flip charts. And they'd be just telling you like this per- there's, there's good guys and there's bad guys. Uh, the bad guys are these people and the good guys are these people. And they would walk around just very loudly voicing their And, and this kind of has that feel of like Jesus being a fundamentalist, uh, you know, kind of a throwback to culture wars where we're fighting over, uh, you know, ideologies and things. But, but this is a real thing. And so we need to be careful to pay attention to what Jesus um, says here. Because there's, there's a good, underneath this warning, there is a, a good thing that Jesus is trying to get us to pay attention to, not just to beware of, but to long for something good and true and beautiful. And here's the reality that um, Jesus, I think, is drawing our attention to is that we all need prophets in our lives. Every community uh, needs prophets, right? We live in a world that is, if we're honest and we're, we have our eyes open and we're awake, is complex, It is confusing, and there's a lot of complacency. Right in, in our world. And so we live just kind of like on a national, uh, global scale right now. Um, we live in this world that we call post-truth. Right, We talk about fake news. There's all kinds of conversations that are happening there. Um, there are competing voices and competing agendas and directions. And we know that not all roads lead to the same destination. We know that not all influences lead us towards what's good and true and beautiful, towards uh, the kingdom of God that's come among us. And culturally, if we ever had one, we've kind of lost a shared framework or a shared definition for what good and true and beautiful even mean. And so you have all of these different voices that are calling to you, beckoning to you, go this way, follow this path, follow this teaching, this is the good life, vote this way, uh, live this way, uh, you know, all of these voices. And so it's very complex and confusing to go, which way is right and which way is wrong? And if you kind of just scale it down to just our everyday lives, our everyday lives are full of confusion and complexity and chaos and complacency, right? Like we're struggling in our everyday with a need for deep clarity. We need wisdom. We need direction. We don't know where to go. We don't know. I mean, we're facing these everyday struggles, right? Like fear. Uh, you know, uh, Tamisa and I were talking before. Just, about, We have boys that just turned 12. I am terrified, of a 12 year old boy right now, All right? Like I, I I, had a dad uh, who was at home with me, but in many ways didn't point me towards a vision of manhood, right? Like took care of my basic needs, but on the emotional and spiritual level, uh, there was uh, not a lot of investment there, and, and I love my dad, and I'm thankful for my dad, but I have no idea. I'm, I'm terrified of what it looks like to try to raise a man, right? Like, you're born a boy, but men are raised, and so, like, all these fears that we have about uh, our kids growing up, about the world that we live in, about what it's like to uh, be single, I mean, just fears that we're struggling with, and we need clarity, Um, failures. All of us are dealing with different failures. How do we process those failures at work, failures in our relationships, our marriages? Some of us feel like utter failures, and there's all kinds of shame that we're dealing with as a result of those failures. And so we we long for clarity in the midst of our failure. How do we see our suffering in a redemptive lens um, through the perspective of God's Uh, vision for our lives, our suffering, our limitations and our losses, right? They're losses that all of us have experienced. And so there's just a need for clarity. And that's the role of a prophet. In the Bible, there's four leadership offices or leadership roles that we see that God gives his people to bring clarity, to bring encouragement. Um, There's the role of the king. The king would in the Old Testament mediate God's rule to the people. God's laws, his his decrees, his policies, his administration, so to speak. God uh, spoke through the king and mediated his rule. Uh, We had priests who mediated God's forgiveness. You think about the sacrificial system and the atonement system and the the need that we have for cleansing and confession and forgiveness and wholeness uh, on a spiritual and emotional level. That was the role of a priest in the Old Testament community um, we had sages who gave wisdom. They brought ancient wisdom from the past to bear on the everyday realities of life. Think about the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Solomon, one of the wisest uh, kings to ever live and wrote, uh, I was just reading this week in Second Samuel again, uh, or kings, uh, wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. And, and Proverbs are just simply uh, giving us some direction on, on how to have the skills to live in everyday life as human beings, and then you had prophets and prophets brought clarity, right? They brought clarity and they brought conviction. They were shaking people out of, if you read like Jeremiah and you read Amos and you read Obadiah and the Old Testament prophets, Micah, they were calling people out of complacency and into God's vision for justice and peace and righteousness and the kingdom of God. These were luminaries or guides or reformers. In, in Jesus's day, this is what you would call a prophet. In our day, we don't call them prophets. We might call them pastors, or you might call them podcast hosts, or uh, Christian authors, or thought leaders, or missional community leaders. In our kind of system here, maybe campus ministry staffers, if you were uh, maybe deeply influenced at a campus ministry by somebody who discipled you, that would be the role of a prophet, as somebody to bring clarity and conviction into your life. And yet, Although we deeply need these guides to help point us in the direction of the ancient paths of wisdom and truth, the reality is there's also, that can be abused, right? People can take advantage of that need that we have for gods, for luminaries, for reformers. And that's the warning that Jesus gives is beware, right? Watch out. Have your eyes open. Wake up is what Jesus is saying. Don't be asleep. Don't just uh, follow the Pied Piper, so to speak. And so he gives these warnings throughout the book of Matthew. Six times in Matthew, Jesus says, watch out for spiritual leaders who will take advantage of your need for clarity, and they will use it and warp it towards their own purposes. And so um, he talks about in chapter 6, verse 1, watch out for the hypocrites. Who say one thing but live another way. Watch out in chapter 10, verse 17, for the opponents of Jesus, the Pharisees and the scribes. Three times in Matthew 16, he says, watch out for the Bible scholars. Watch out for the religious leaders. Watch out for the people who are supposed to be shepherding you because um, they're, they're out to get you. They're out to harm you. This is the kind of the essence of false prophecy. And it's not just in the book of Matthew. This is a theme throughout the Bible. Go back to the Old Testament. I put some verses here on the screen for you. Deuteronomy Uh, chapter 13, verses one through five. Moses writes, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you uh, and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. We're gonna come back to that. People who have vain imagination, people who have... um, intuition and lead to that intuition, but oftentimes can be false prophets. Um, Jeremiah, I mean, the whole book of Jeremiah is full of warnings about true versus false prophets, about counterfeit teachers. And Jeremiah says this, the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination and the deceit, of their own minds. And we go to the New Testament and almost every single book in the New Testament contains similar warnings. Second Timothy chapter four, verse three. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, their own desires. In other words, we like to be affirmed, right? We, we have itching ears. We, we long to be affirmed. Even when we're wrong, we want people to mirror back to us our feelings and our emotions and our thoughts. And so he says, be careful, because that is fertile soil for false teaching and false um, spiritual leadership. Second Peter chapter 2, Verses one through three. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master that is Jesus who bought them, bringing upon themselves uh, swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, so what's motivating this is a greediness, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So we have warnings. Watch out for people who come, and they appear to be Christian leaders. They appear to um, come into the guise of godliness, but they are actually out to consume you, to use you, to destroy you. And oftentimes, they're completely unaware of how they're doing it. How do we tell the difference between these false prophets And true prophets. That's kind of the concern, the driving concern for Jesus is watch out for these people. And he's going to give us some ways to recognize them. So notice verse 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree, every healthy tree bears good healthy fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire thus you will recognize them by fruit by their fruit so jesus says watch out they will come to you as wolf wolves in sheep's clothing right they'll come to you in other words um Like the wolf in Jesus's day was the primary predator of the sheep. Sheep in the Bible is always usually an analogy for a metaphor for God's people. So Jesus says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. No one comes into the sheepfold except through Me, so it's kind of in reference to God's people, Um, and so he says, "Watch out! These wolves are not going to come to you like in some obvious way with like pitchforks and horns and like you know false teaching that would be easy to spot. They're going to be orthodox in their doctrine. They're going to come and they're going to say the right kinds of things. They're going to use the right kinds of language. They know all the insider language of Christianity. They'll they'll pray. They'll use very Christianese uh, language." They'll posture themselves as kind of gurus or spiritual authority figures. They'll be authentic. You know, we like really value authenticity, and they'll talk about their wounds in very vulnerable ways. They'll be very winsome. They'll be people that you and I would be prone to follow. That's the whole point of a wolf in sheep's clothing: is they come to you and they're attractive, and there's a certain element of, of um, at least the form of godliness. But Jesus, Paul would go on to say, denies its power. So Jesus says, you'll recognize them by their fruits. So this is a call to discernment. This is a call to test teachers and to not just assume that everybody who claims the name of Jesus is who they say they are or is leading us towards a path of the life that is truly life. 1 John chapter four says the same thing. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test, that's that word discernment, test the spirits to see where they are from. Uh, excuse me, sorry, I'm having a hard time seeing. To see whether they are from God. But many false prophets have gone out into the world. We desperately need to be discerning in a world where everyone is clamoring, everyone is posturing, everyone is positioning themselves as spiritual guides to the good life. So Jesus says, You'll know them by their fruit. This idea of fruit. Uh, in, in Jesus's day, is a very common agricultural reference. Grapes and figs were two of the most common things in the ancient world in terms of fruit. Um, so this agricultural society would have understood exactly what Jesus meant. Uh, Most of us, uh, maybe some of you are growing fruit uh, trees in your backyard, but for most of us, it's kind of a foreign thing. It's actually an allusion to Jeremiah chapter 8 as well, where God uh, talking about the false prophets said, I went out into my garden, into my vineyard to gather grapes, to gather figs from the trees that I planted, and they were barren. They were destitute. There was nothing there. They were bankrupt. The very leaders who were supposed to be bearing fruit for Jesus with the power of Jesus are those who are actually Barren. They have nothing to offer. They're bankrupt. And so, this is the illusion that he draws on here. And he basically says healthy trees produce healthy fruit. Disease trees produce poisonous fruit, fruit that's no good. It actually can be harmful for us. Living trees produce fruit according to their kind, right? Grape uh, vines, grape trees, vines produce grapes. Fig trees produce figs. Thorn bushes produce more thorns. There's three kinds of fruit. Let me just flesh this out very specifically and practically for you. I'm gonna give you a broad summary of something that is like Genesis to Revelation in about, uh, about 10 minutes of the different kinds of fruit. When he says you'll recognize them by their fruit, that, that idea of fruit again is deeply ingrained, would have been deeply ingrained in the Jewish imagination and the Jewish kind of mental furniture. So they would have known, but for us, it's not, uh, Jesus is assuming things that are not as common to us. So let me give you uh, three categories for the kinds of fruit that Jesus calls us to test in the lives of those who position themselves. Again, we're talking about inside the church as spiritual leaders. The first one is the test of the fruit of their life, the fruit of their life, their character. The second test is the fruit of their teaching. And then the third test is the fruit of their influence. So let's go through these one by one, first starting with the fruit of their life. This idea of fruit primarily in this passage here, uh, Jesus is referencing, is talking about their character. Just talking about who they are, on the inside, who they are at the core of their being, who they are in their souls. And Jesus says, they're like ravenous wolves on the inside, their insides. This word ravenous here doesn't just mean hungry. It's actually an interesting word. It means, it can be a word that means to rob or extort or to blackmail. This idea of being ravenous is kind of this idea that on the inside, these spiritual leaders are empty. They have a longing for something that they're seeking to devour and consume and to get from you. In other words, they they view you as a commodity through which they're going to get things like significance, approval, um, glory, power, like Jesus says about the Pharisees in, in Matthew, they're lovers of money, they're lovers of glory. They, they parade themselves around because they're empty, because they're hollowed out on their inside. They need to seek out that glory, that weight, that approval, that significance from the people. And so they move out and they actually use other people to prop up their kind of you know, sagging sense of self. They're using other people to build their own identity. And so what Jesus is saying here is that the fruit of our inner life, our character will eventually work its way out into our life, to the rhythms of life, how we live, to the things that we say, how we talk. I mean, over time, if you watch consistently somebody's life, you can't not uh, kind of bring to the fore in your life what's on the inside. It will, the soul and the heart will always work its way out in our lives over time. So Jesus says, watch and pay attention Because um, spiritual leaders should be offering you the fruit of something deep, a deep work of transformation that's happening in their own life. We talk about this a ton as elders and deacons and, and, and spiritual leaders of the church. We need to make sure that we're never offering you a commodity that we ourselves are not experiencing as spiritual leaders. The work of transformation that we wanna see happen in your life ought to be the same work of transformation I expect to be happening in my life and in our elder team. And if it's not happening there, we're gonna multiply out poisonous, deadly fruit, right? And so we need to attend to our own lives and make sure that the same transformation we're experiencing is what we offer to you, that the work that God is doing in us as leaders is just as important as the work he's doing through us. And we need to make sure that we're never offering something that's fake or counterfeit um, for other people to consume because it's bad fruit. And so, uh, Matthew chapter three, verse eight, uh, John, uh, John the Baptist says, "Bear fruit in keeping with repentance." What is the fruit that we're looking for in somebody's life? It's fruit that's in keeping with repentance. It's it's a pattern of a life of confession and humility, and repentance, right? We're not looking for perfect leaders. It's not like, you know, your leader makes a mistake, aha, false teacher, you know, I knew it. Um, you're not like hacking their email account, looking, you know, it's like, no, we're just talking about just a basic pattern of bearing fruit and keeping with repentance. And this was, this was God's beef with the Old Testament false prophets. I mean, again, the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 23, verse 14, uh, Jeremiah calls out the, uh, the false prophets, and he says, but in the prophets of Jerusalem, In those who know better, who are supposed to be speaking in the name of God, I've seen this horrible thing. They commit adultery. They walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns away from his evil. So we need to be careful about um, allowing people access into our lives where we can't see the fruit of their life. It's easy to get, be influenced by teachers, right? Like some of us love podcasts, we love reading Christian books. Uh, we've been very influenced by by leaders with whom we have no relationship, and so we can't see the fruit of their life. And so, some diagnostic questions that maybe we just want to ask ourselves uh, around the fruit of uh, people's lives, especially the less proximity we have to somebody's life, the less cl- uh, the less intimacy, the less we see them. Uh, by the way, this is one of the one of our driving passions for a family of neighborhood churches is that you would be able to see the lives of your leaders up close, that you wouldn't see us up on some screen or up on some stage or up on some platform, but then never be able to kind of test the fruit of our lives um, so that we would live among you. That's one of the reasons why we do church this way. And so some questions we could just ask ourselves about people that we're allowing to influence our lives. It'd be things like, do I see a pattern of repentance? When was the last time this person was as serious about calling out the sin in their own life as they are about calling out the Sin in the lives of others, right? We can get real worked up with, you know, kind of deconstructing religion and it's kind of like a, almost like a sport now, a competitive sport to like uh, traffic and doubt and call attention to the sins of the church, even within the church. But when was the last time we were that aggressive about naming and owning our own sins and calling on our own sins as teachers? How do they handle things like money and sex and power? do we see a pattern of of integrity there? How do they interact with their spouse and their kids? How do they treat their families? How do they treat their friends? Do they even have any friends? Do they have anybody who knows them, um, who challenges them, who's speaking into their life? Or do you see a pattern in their lives of just like a wake of relational carnage and unreconciled relationships? And and it's amazing, like in every situation, they're always the victim. If you've ever met someone like this, there's this paranoia of like, everybody's out to get me and all these people don't understand me they don't get me, and they just have this pattern in their life of carnage relationally. That should be a sign to us that that could be a false teacher. Are they under spiritual authority? Are they just Lone Ranger teachers? Fruit of their lives is a really important thing. Second thing the New Testament talks about is the fruit of someone's teaching. 1 Timothy chapter four, Paul warns uh, young Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself, which is what we just talked about, your life, and on your teaching persist in this for so, by, do, by, by so doing, you will save both your, yourself and your hearers. Conversely, if you don't pay attention to your life, and you need both, you need uh, a life of integrity and teaching that has integrity. If you have a life without the teaching or teaching without the life, you have hypocrisy. And so he says, watch out, your teaching and your life have the ability to bring life to others or to rob others, to steal from others, to extort from others the life that God is implanting in them and the good things that he desires to do uh, in moving them towards his vision for the kingdom of God. Let me just, again, in a very summary way, uh, give you some things that the Bible says about teachers and about false teachers and some of the things to watch out for when it comes to false teaching. Because, again, um, our palates have not really been trained, I think, in a lot of ways to discern uh, between good and, and false teaching. So let me give you some of the things the Bible talks about, just some broad categories when it comes to characteristics or traits. Of bad teaching that can lead us away from the kingdom of God. The first thing we see in the book of Jeremiah is that false teaching is often very simplistic, right? So in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 11, Jeremiah says, The false prophets speak peace, peace, and they heal the wounds of my people lightly when there is no peace. False teachers take uh, complex issues and they try to make them very simple. Uh, You know, and there's like two kinds of simple. There's simplistic and then there's a simple that's on the other side of simplistic that is simple, but it, it engages the full complexity of reality. You know what I'm talking about? Um, and that, that this simplistic idea is like, it's, it's comfortable, it's easy. Uh, they try to, these like, you know, quick fix solutions to very complex issues. That is one of the hallmarks of false teaching is peace, peace, comfort, ease, where there is no comfort and ease. We all probably have experienced that in, in different um, Christian environments. The second thing we see is that it's reductionistic oftentimes, simplistic and reductionistic. By reductionistic, I just mean like there are these tensions in uh, the Christian life, and we have to hold on to both ends. And if we kind of swing into one ditch, like we, we talk about God's love, and God is a God of love, and I could never serve a God who uh, you know, does it, w- would call me to do X, Y, or Z because God is a God of love. But in the Bible, God's love is presented as a holy love, right? And we need to hold on to both of those things. If we don't hold on to His holiness, what we get is like a sappy, sentimental kind of love that's sugary but doesn't have any bite to it. Um, if we hold on to, uh, you know, the, the like a, the holiness without the the love, the the truth without the love, Paul would say, what we get is like a very rigid kind of like you know truth bombing of people without you know, love and encouragement and and those kinds of things. And so holding on to those things, um, reductionistic teachers, um, it's not what they say, it's often what they don't say. They put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. You know, it's like what they don't say, all these things over here that that are missing, it's not so much what they say, it's what's left out. Um, And oftentimes there's lots of affirmation without accompanying challenge or there's challenge without affirmation, right? Like this can go both ways. Um, think about like the, the tension of like poverty and prosperity. You got some people that, and we, we know about prosperity teaching and that's certainly a danger, but what about poverty teaching? What about the other ditch of like, all suffering is virtuous. All suffering is like good and like to live the Christian life is basically to live with a frown on your face all the time. And yet what we see in the Bible is in the midst of suffering, we can have joy. In the midst of suffering, we can experience happiness. We can experience God. blessing in the midst of our adversity, those are some of the places where God meets us and shows up most powerfully. And so we need both of those things. Beware of the person who is selective and reductionistic um, with the things that they emphasize. Thirdly, tribalistic. Uh, False teaching can be tribalistic. It reinforces the prejudices, the assumptions, and the interest of a particular dominant cultural group over and against another. It seeks to inflame those tribal identities, to stir up tribal um, you know, slogans, and, um, and, and, and it never challenges those dominant uh, myths and those dominant narratives. So I think of like the Old Testament, uh, again, in the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah, there was this protected kind of privileged class that, uh, that were always kind of protected and, and were never called out. And that's why God sent the prophets to kind of speak and to preach against them, to challenge uh, some of the ways that they were seeing uh, their spirituality. So it can be tribalistic both ways, both in a conservative way and a progressive way. And so we need to be aware of those. Um, formulaic. Uh, false teaching is, is very formulaic. It has this kind of sense of like, this is the right way to do things and here's the 10 principles, the 10 uh, you know, pathways, the 10 techniques to like your best life now. Um, that's kind of just characteristic. So uh, Colossians chapter two, uh, this is all about um, just like human systems kind of, so to speak. So Colossians chapter two, I think we have the verse up here maybe. Um, if not, I'll be happy to quote it. Do we have that, Sarah? Sorry, Uh, let me turn there, actually. Colossians chapter two, Paul writes to, oh, there it is, there we go. Uh, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, um, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? These regulations, principles, techniques that are man-made and human-centered, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed the appearance of wisdom in uh, promoting self-made religion and asceticism or denial of the body and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Beware of people who have a program, who have a system, and this is the way you do Christianity. This is the way that you do church. This is the right way. This is the only way. And everyone else is doing it the wrong way. Okay. Which leads to our next one. Beware of the cultic. Right, The cultic, people who lead us to follow themselves, they build ministries on idealism and charisma and personalities and visions, which is a big, big uh, kind of no-no in the Bible. Um, now again, we're not talking here about like entrepreneurial vision. If you're like an entrepreneur, God's not like against startups or against you having a vision for your family. Or the, the kind of vision here he's talking about is this vain imagination that, that would kind of set ourselves up to rival God himself. It's this vision to lead people towards um, the vision that I have rather than the vision that God has. Uh, so um, let me just give you an example of this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, famous German pastor, well-known, famous pa- He wouldn't call himself famous. Well-known, he was a martyr. Um, German pastor said this uh, in his book, Life Together. Um, I really hope we have this quote because it's one of my favorites. We'll wait here. No? Okay, let's be patient. Let's just wait together. Um, Let me just skip and I'll come back to this. There it is. Okay. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this about uh, community. God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own laws, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of the brethren. He acts as if he is the creator of Christian community, as if his dream binds men together. This is often what we call church planting in the modern world. Okay, keep going. Next slide, maybe. Oh, the end's so good. I love technology. There we go. When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. So he becomes first an accuser of his brethren, then an accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. When the morning mists of dreams vanish, then dawns the bright day of Christian fellowship. Beware of those who would lead us away. Um, towards themselves to follow their visions, their dreams instead of God's. And then finally, parasitic, right? Parasitic is this idea that a parasite can't exist on its own. It has to have a host, and it feeds on the lifeblood of that host. Um, so false teachers will often feed on a host party's wounds or doubts or cynicisms or weaknesses or vulnerabilities. And you can read about that in Second Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. 19. So the question we want to ask with some of these teaching is, is this teaching rooted in the person of Jesus? Is it rooted in the teaching of Jesus as expressed in the four gospels and the totality of scripture? And as I listen to this teaching and I follow this teaching over a period of time, is it leading and inclining my heart, bending my heart to want to obey the teachings of Jesus? Or Is it stirring up in me an unhealthy and unnecessary sense of uh, doubt? Does it make me want to doubt God's word? Does it make me want to doubt God's goodness towards me and to question his kindness towards me? Um, this requires a ton of spiritual discernment. This is a call for us to immerse ourselves in scripture, to immerse ourselves in God's word, to be able to tell the difference between what's true and real and beautiful and what's not. And so we wanna be a people like Acts 17, the Bereans, who when Paul, I mean, Paul, one of the best teachers in church history shows up to preach the gospel. They're like, ah, we'll see, Paul. And so they they received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were So that should be characteristic of our community is that we are constantly communicating and searching the scripture to say, is what we're being taught true? Like even today, like what I'm saying, there's kind of an irony here. I'm up here talking to you from God's word. Like we want you to take it and say, we'll see. Like it's up to us as a community to test that, to see if the fruit of the teaching is healthy or diseased. Finally, we see the fruit of their influence. False teachers' influence over time will be revealed in the lives and the hearts of their followers. think about parenting, right? You can say you believe in certain things as a parent, but the culture of your home as a parent um, is really revealed over time. It's what gets repeated. It's what gets celebrated. It's what gets lived out in our behaviors. And so I can say I value this, but if I don't, if I value prayer, but I'm never praying with my kids, I'll, I'll have a prayerless home. And I can say we value that, but the reality is same thing. In a company culture, the fruit of your ministry will be revealed in time by those who follow us. Titus chapter 1, uh, verses 10 through 11, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers. Uh, We'll just skip on to 9-11. He he goes on to say, there's many who are empty talkers. They're upsetting entire households. He says, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, uh, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. So the fruit of and the influence of a, of a false teacher over time is dissension. It's division, not unity. It's stirring up people against one another rather than seeking to promote peacemaking. Sound teaching, by contrast, produces faith, hope, and love, right? The fruit of good teaching is love, love for God and love for our neighbor, the fruit of godly teaching is faith, right? It's this confidence in who God is and it's this, this reality that I'm trusting him, that his promises are good and true. This is the role that the church plays, right? This is why it's so important to be connected to a local church because you don't have enough superpowers to figure this out on your own. I don't care how long you've been in church, it's easy for us to get duped, it's easy for us to get deceived. And that's why we need to be connected to a church where we have uh, elders and other leaders who are accrediting uh, authoritative influences in our lives, who are testing with us these different spiritual leaders in our community, who are pacing the community to make sure that we're not running so hard after empowerment at the expense of discernment. We need empowerment, but we also need discernment, right? And so um, we need to be careful. That's why Paul throughout the New Testament will say, I'm sending so-and-so to you, welcome them, receive them, because Paul was acting like a certifying agent saying, hey, you can trust this person. There's a pattern of faithfulness in their life and their teaching and their influence that will will have a life-giving effect on your community. So let me just say this, and then we'll wrap up with a few little applications. In terms of influence, pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to your season of life. There are certain seasons of life when you're in transition, when you're grieving, when you've been wounded, when you are successful, um, when you're sick, when you're in a a certain stage of your faith development where you're going to be more susceptible and open to bad teaching where you're going to desire to be affirmed because of your wounds, because of your past, because of your failures, be careful. Watch yourself. Be on guard in those seasons where you're vulnerable because somebody can step in in that moment and speak uh, some kind of word, uh, a a vain imagination, a dream. I had this impression, you know, like, and, and it hits us just in the right spot and can begin to lead us ever so slowly and subtly away from the life that is truly life. And so be careful, watch yourself, pay attention to yourself, especially in those seasons where you are hurting, that you don't allow somebody access into your heart in a way that could be damaging, uh, even under the guise of Christian spirituality. A couple of imitations here as we close up. Um, Jesus is inviting us to beware of false prophets. Um, I think uh, one of the things that we need to keep in mind here is that the invitation is to watch out not become watchdogs, okay? And there's a huge difference between watching out. he really doesn't tell us to do anything except just wake up, right? Be watchful, be awake, be alert. Um, He's not calling us here to like start some kind of a discernment blog ministry. Uh, You know, he's not calling us here to become some sort of like, you know, go get a bullhorn and like start protesting, uh, you know, false teachers. He just says, watch out. There are other places maybe and there are times where that could be appropriate, but he just says, Be watchful, right? Don't become a watchdog. Watchdogs are cynical, they're suspicious, right? Like every any kind of authority structure is bad, like down with the man, and like they're, you know, there's just we're caught up in this cultural moment where in some senses there's a lot of outrage that is justified, but we gotta be careful not to throw out the baby with the bathwater and to throw off all sense of authority. There's good spiritual authority and healthy spiritual authority, and there's bad and unhealthy spiritual authority. And so this call here is to be watchful, and not just to be watchful for what's coming from the outside, but I think the real call here is to be watchful within the Christian community. Acts chapter 20, verses 29 to 30, um, the Apostle Paul says, false prophets speaking to the elders before he goes to die. False prophets will rise up from within you, so not the secular boogeyman, not the teachers in some school system, Among you, like the greatest and biggest threats to our survival and flourishing as a future community of Christ followers are right here in this room, starting with me. That's a sober call for us to pay attention. Nobody starts off wanting to be a wolf. Hey, I know what I want to do. I want to go in and, and bring heresy into the Christian community and destroy a bunch of people's faith. Nobody starts that way, it's not that conscious. It's easy for us to just kind of fall into that. So the warning for us is to watch, first and foremost, ourselves. Watch that you don't become a false teacher, right? The anatomy of a false teacher is not waking up one day and say, I wanna be a false prophet. It's becoming aware of, The scripts that we carry with us, you know, the idea of scripts, like psychologists tell us, all of us have scripts that we're living out from our family of origin, from our past, from our religious traditions. We have uh, narratives that we've kind of bought into just implicitly that we don't think about a lot and that we live out in community. Uh, This is the right way to do this. This is the wrong way to do this. This is how community is supposed to work. This is how community is not supposed to work. And so we have to be aware of how those scripts are discipling us. All of us have been discipled. Whether you know it or not, whether you're a Christian or not, you have been discipled. You have been formed. You have been shaped by scripts that dictate how you live. As much as we like to think of ourselves as rational human beings, if our cultural moment is teaching us anything, we are not rational beings. (laughs) We are discipled by forces outside of us, and we are susceptible to those forces Teaching us and impressing us and discipling us and creating blind spots in us that we then multiply in our missional communities, in our discipleship groups, in our conversations with other leaders. We have to be so careful, so cautious. What we need in this generation of leaders is not more gifted people, we need more discerning, deep people. And this is a call for us to be deep, to be rooted in the life of Jesus, who is, by the way, the true prophet and then out of that life with Jesus to become true prophets, right? That's kind of the ending here. Follow the true prophet. Jesus said of himself, "I essentially, I am the prophet who's coming to the world. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to God except through me. Nobody experiences the good life, the human life, apart from knowing me. So follow me, right? Follow me into this life of becoming a lower P, a lowercase p, prophetic voice. Somebody who sees what Jesus sees, who lives as Jesus lives, whose life and whose teaching and whose influence points people to the life that is truly life, to the life that is a life of justice and wholeness and righteousness and shalom. And as, we, as we seek to live into that kingdom vision together, God will, will hopefully protect us from, uh, from those false prophets that can rise up from among us. But that's the call for us, to, it's here, to see this invitation, to follow Jesus and to become prophets with one another. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to take communion. And if you're not, if you're new to Soma, the way we do that every week is we, we have stations here. I don't know, where, where are our stations here? Stations on the side here with uh, stations, come if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're following Jesus, the true prophet, and he is your light, he is your life, he is your savior. Um, we wanna invite you to come and receive communion, take a piece of the bread, tear it off, and dip it into the cup. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we'd invite you just to stay in your seat as others come and reflect on what would it look like for me to come into a relationship with Jesus, to know Jesus, and out of that knowing, that deep knowing of Jesus, we then, uh, as we're connected to the vine, begin to live the life that Jesus has called us to live as His followers in community with one another, sharing the conviction and the clarity that comes from knowing Jesus together. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll take communion together. Father, thank you for this warning. Thank you that you are a good father who seeks to protect us, not only from the world outside, but the world inside the church, the culture inside the church, which can be so deadly and so toxic and so um, counterfeit. For honest God, like we are some of our own greatest enemies. And so, God, deliver us, open our eyes, wake us up to the ways that we uh, are inclined to follow after uh, prophets that are not true prophets, prophets that speak in your name but prophesy lies. And so, God, just protect us. I pray that you protect our community. I pray that this message would lead us to deeper repentance, deeper confession, deeper humility, and a deeper desire to really uh, be circumspect and sober about the influences that we allow to have access into our hearts. And, God, would you just, would you just lead us and guide us on your path, to follow the narrow gate, to lead us to the road that truly leads to life and salvation. God, not every road leads us there. And so God, help us to follow you in that narrow path. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.